My guest today is Chase Reeves. He's the founder of Matterful and Fizzle, a YouTuber and a brand strategy consultant. White gay privilege is now a thing. Feral Girl Summer is upon us, and Chase nearly got on the wrong side of a rhinoceros in South Africa. It's time to work out what's going on in the world. Expect to learn how to stop relying on your thinking so much, why intersectionality is creating hierarchies of dominance that no one can climb, how gay people are the straight people of queer people, why doing anything for a summer is only important when you're a teenager, why the only authenticity is authenticity about your inauthenticity, and much more. Don't forget that if you are listening, you should also have got a copy of the Modern Wisdom Reading List for free. Go and pick up your copy right now at chriswillex.com slash books. 100 books that you should read before you die with descriptions about why I like them and links and everything else. chriswillex.com slash books to go and get yours for free. All right, quick maths. The less that your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service... The more margin you have, the more money that you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce the costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite and you are improving efficiency by bringing all your business processes into one platform. Over 37 thousand companies have already made the move so do the maths and see how you will profit with NetSuite. Back by popular demand NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com modern right now. That's netsuite.com modern. But now ladies and gentlemen please welcome Chase Reeves. Chase Reeves, welcome to the show. Odelay. How are you doing? Good, man. How are you? Very well. I saw a quote the other day from uh, Jason Pargin who said, Accept that all of your heroes are full of shit. Your heroes aren't gods. They're just regular people who probably got good at one thing by neglecting literally everything else. <laughs> what do you think of that? Yes. I think yes. Uh, I think uh, it puts me in mind of, there's a singer-songwriter named Ryan Adams who I loved for a long time and I had several opportunities to go see him, but never always choosing not to for exactly that reason. Like I didn't want, I wanted to continue enjoying his music the way that I had. And I just felt like it was going to change it. Why? Because I've had that experience a lot where you, you realize the humanity of your heroes and it's an important, it's an important thing to learn if you're in the world, like making stuff. I fancy myself someone's future hero, I think, <laughs> at least my sons, <laughs> my daughters maybe. But experiencing the humanity of people that you have idolized in some way can, like, I've, it's just happened a lot. It's happened a lot. It's been a big part of, like, you know, modern wisdom. It's been a part, big part of, like, coming to terms with how life ends up really working. That point about them neglecting all the other parts of their life. 
it's like Alan Watts, huge fan of Alan Watts, right? Well, if you've learned more about how his days ended, it's like, oh, wow, that contextualizes Alan Watts a little how bit. How did his day end? He kind of, he basically, he, he died of like alcohol consumption. And there's, it's, it's not fully, uh, there's still some, you can find on online some writings from some of his friends going like, I mean, here's the deal, guys. Alan Watts, you can hear him in several times going, I just like drinking, you know, I just, I just like it. Um, and that was kind of a part of his spirituality in some ways, not the drinking, but just like the being into what you're into. But he had some speaking gigs booked. There was stuff that he was looking forward to doing in life, but he expired, right? And you just think, and my buddy Jay always brings that up to me about, because he knows I like Alan Watts or something. And it's that I, I'm a follower of spiritual teachers. Oftentimes like a Ram Dass is meant a lot to me and stuff. And uh, I love that Ram Dass will say something like, my brother calls me Ram Dass. You know, <laughs> I love the humanity there. And you also get to hear stories of Ramdas is a very sexually active guy through his life. You know, we put people on pedestals. We project onto them what I, I like kind of I'm projecting onto them based on where I feel like my inequity is or something like that, where my detriments are. That they fill in all of the fallibilities that you have. Yeah, they just provide the screen for me to constantly criticize myself in order to get better. You would something. be more like Alan Watts. You would be more like Ramda. Why can't you present and, yeah. and I feel like it's, in it's the way? It's humanizing to realize the shadow side or the, the humanity of, of It's the anyone. lack. It's the lack. I think the shadow side has a degree of sort of beauty to it. But when you realize that Christopher Hitchens died because he smoked cigarettes, yeah. Probably. Yeah. Or the fact that, you know, really, Alan, as one of the most popular spiritual teachers of the 1900s, you're going to be defeated by alcohol. Yeah, right. You know, it just seems like it's such a banal, unceremonial way to go. And yet, I, I would interpret it through the lens of his own sort of uh, perspective around, like, life is here for you to explore what you want about it. And he's like, I like it. Yeah. <laughs> Aubrey said the same thing the first time that I had him on the show. He said, life is for doing the things. Yeah. says you're supposed to make love and travel and take drugs. Not all the drugs, but yeah. some of the drugs. Yeah. And live and be where your feet are. And, and uh, Naval also says that it's far easier to achieve your material desires than to renounce them. Mm. And I think that the same can be true for adventures and yeah. just doing stuff in life. I have a friend that uh, used to be in a pickup artistry in his 20s. He once told me, um, I was like, fuck, dude, you're really passionate about pickup artistries. Pickup artistry? Pickup artistry. Oh, okay, so he was, yeah. he was a professional yeah. shagger, basically. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I was pretty impressed. Dude, you really committed to this thing. He's like, yeah, yeah my future wife better thank me. <laughs> oh, you're going to have to. I want to check the algebra. You're going to have to explain to me about how your future wife had better. And he said, well, you know, in 15 years' time, when I'm walking down the street with my wife and my two kids and my dog, I don't want to look at a Brazilian girl and think, I wonder what it's like to sleep with a Brazilian girl. Yeah. I want to have ticked off all of the different sort of sexual yeah. open loops that yeah. I've got to to close those. And although that was absolutely a cope on his part to sure. just... Uh, or it's like dude math, you know? Yeah. It's like dude math, Bro it's like science. not really coming to terms with fact. Maybe you're awakening an appetite that finds itself very hard to settle. Mary Harrington's got this thing she calls the law of fap entropy, which is whatever you start out wanking to is going to progressively get more intense over time. I feel like I'm watching that. I've watched that in my own life, like like worried about that. Like I'm constantly worried about that. If pornography comes up, I'm like scared. You know what you want? 
Mm. You want to just have a couple of favorite porn videos and just stick to those, some classics. I mean, I think what I want is none of that, right? What I want is a really rich and vibrant connection with my spouse, you know, who I've been with for 17 something years, right? But even on the way here, I was thinking about this, like this dream of, of like, of, of life. Like my, I was just with a Native American teacher and, and he's like telling some story of an, of an old Native American character who's like, he, he said one prayer to God, five words, I want a good life. And that's it. He's like, he prayed it once and it was, and it was great. He's like, he did the medicine once. And then that was like, that's it. I've had enough, you know, his whole entire life and then had that great life. But driving here, I was even, uh, I, I'm not, uh, I'm not, one who like I have I'm oftentimes in maybe not often but I have I'm no stranger to that moment where you're like I would almost rather be dead than to keep going and to have all of this overwhelming endless amount of stuff to do and comparing myself to those heroes and what could I do and not being able to connect to the richness of right now because it's like it's, I don't know if it's the life that I want like with the kids and the wife and the whole life feels intact you feel you can feel really painted into a corner unless you do some of that sort of spiritual jujitsu or aikido as you were telling me it's going out of fashion a bit <laughs> apparently so yeah we're next door to a, an aikido studio at the moment what does a good life look like to you i am one who is really connected to creative creative work so there's something about being able to make stuff that people can enjoy there's like as a creative I'm, I'm, as a person who has done a lot of creative sort of things, there's stuff that I make that I enjoy the making of and I enjoy it for me. There's also the experience of other people enjoying your thing. And then there's also the experience of making something that you know is good, but other people, like maybe it's not popular, other people don't enjoy it, but some small group out there you know does, but you have zero interaction with them, uh -huh. you know? So what makes a good life, one of those things is creativity for me. And not just, I get to be creative today. Like it's, it's also the impact, like I had this theory that, and like an artist is not just committed to the work, it's, it's commit, there's a commitment to how the work is received. Not that I can change someone's preference about it, but like knowing that there's people out there that can have this experience with that work or an experience with that work. So creativity is a part of it. I think richness in relationship, like the, you know, I'm a, I'm like a YouTuber who like talks about everyday carry and bags and travel and all this stuff. And it's like the stuff that we carry with us. Well, the relationships are really a big part of what we carry with us. How I feel about specifically my spouse and my kids, my parents the quality and the intimacy I have with my friend group, right? Where, where my friends are, how their lives are going too. It's like, we kind of carry each other. So that's a, that's a definitely a, a, a big part of it. I think of, for me, I'm kind of a sheltered kid, you know, sort of a evangelical for a long time. And, um, and I just, there's a lot of, there's a lot of the, the sexual experiences. I, I, I've held it on my shoulder that I haven't had a lot of those. And I'm trying to put away the like kind of the, there's like a childlikeness in that that's like totally relatable and, and beautiful. There's also a childishness that can- Like a juvenile side to it. It can be really juvenile. And I can see that in plenty of my 30 plus single friends who are out just 
getting into it and enjoying it because the the like your like your pickup artist friend like there is such a thrill in the hunt of it. My name yeah. is literally Chase. You yeah. know, there's a chasing in things, and then you have it, and then now what's it like? Right, and I'm constantly telling my dude. Let me let me provide a little bit of a red pill for you as somebody who's spent a lot of time around people that are going out to sleep with new people on a weekly basis in club nights. Right, you've been with your wife. She was the f first person that you ever slept with. Yeah, right? yeah, and you've been with her for 17 years. Yeah, um, the vast majority of people that are in their 30s or 40s that look at the current world of Insta, Tinder, dating, and mm -hmm. sort of free and easy sex that's become decoupled from making babies or relationships would get eaten a fucking live if they entered the modern dating market. Mm -hmm. Not that they wouldn't be able to pull, not that they wouldn't be able to go home with people, but that what you're used to, the sort of connection that you're used to, it is so much more vapid and hollow when, yeah. like, like the, the most exciting part of going back with somebody is if it's after a night out or you've been out for dinner or you've been out on a date or you're driving over to their house for the first time or whatever, it's the drive. It's the anticipation. It's getting there and not knowing what to expect. Mm. It's a, a degree of uncertainty and excitement and stuff. But a lot of the time, if it's casual sex, the post-nut clarity yeah. will hit you in the face yeah. harder than you can possibly imagine. Yeah. And you're laid there thinking, like, not why have I done this or like, what am I doing? But... There, there's some existential crises. I can't. I think it's Nietzsche who said, um, "After copulation, the devil's laughter can be heard." Right. And in that right. moment, guys, the the post nut clarity is a hell of a drug, man. It really yeah. will take your face off. Yeah. That is, for the most part, the experience that you have. Mm. You know, the sex bit. You know, even if you're an absolute stud, is what thirty, forty minutes long, mm. and then you've got all of the lying in bed and pillow talk and totally. realizing that you're incompatible and yeah. the drive home and the Uber can't get here and how do I get, what's the code to get out of the gate at the back of the house? Yeah. None of that's romantic. None of that's exciting. No, no, right? Real life has so much of that, like just regular partnership stuff in it. And like, I, I'm constantly in that sort of frequency with some of my, my friends who, no, they're, they're, they're wise to that and it, they still get all hopped up on just the energy of the chase and the, hunt and the and and i also hold them through the feelings of rejection you know that hurts, on the man. other side had a buddy who uh was in a relationship and, and, and recently sort of got back into the dating market having i think rom despite the fact he was very experienced in it romanticized what the dating market was like mm -hmm. and then was reminded of ghosting and chasing and yeah. uh, girls that want to just talk about themselves mm. and I, it's absolutely got to be the same awful experience for girls as well and then on top of that for women you've got the physical vulnerability that they have where they've got this entire new separate type of fear or concern mm. around their physical safety yeah. that they need to consider yeah and uh dude it's i mean it really doesn't surprise me i, I did this meetup last night for with rob henderson at cosmic coffee in austin it was so cool and to the people that are listening that came down thank you because it was way more people than we should have had there is an entire corner of this huge outdoor place that was there and uh i was talking to this girl who was born in idaho a very religious upbringing she'd driven from dallas to come to this meetup mm. and uh i was saying so what do you do i'm an icu nurse what are your plans moving forward what is it that you want to do she says i'm just waiting for my husband i was like okay 
That's the first time that I've heard a woman say that. It's a real vibe. You get you get that in a lot of in a lot of places. My wife's the oldest of ten kids. A lot of her sisters. That's really she was the, truly. Uh, she was like the middle of nine. Yeah, yeah, and so that religious upbringing makes makes sense in that world, um, which is not like it's not necessarily an unwise position. It's certainly not popular in the, you know, in in what uh, what women are told they're supposed to want and be in modern culture or whatever. You know, I think of this quote from Joni Mitchell who said, if you want to have sex with the same person again and again and again, sleep with lots of different people. What's that mean to you? It's, I think to her point there is, is like, you do the same fucking moves. You experience the same moves in these, because there's such an energy to that honeymoon sort of beginning of a relationship. Novelty. I love that feeling. Yep. Right. And, um, you find yourself in that same energy again and again, and it's easy and it's curious. And there's, you just, it's, it's a chemical romance, you know? And then what happens down the line, like her, then as you said, if you want to have sex with a lot, with like, like a lot of different people, like sleep with one person, because you're going to go through all of these stages of life with them. And I, I'm like, I kind of, I I sense some of the wisdom in that. I certainly sense the intimacy and the depth of connection that can happen over a long period of time with someone. And I also certainly ha can relate to the challenge of commitment to someone when you are someone who's used to options, optionality, and we call that freedom, you know, that that can be a kind of a curse around being able to go deep. Well, how much freedom is there in going on a night out and feeling like you are not worthy or you're somehow less if you go home alone? That yeah, doesn't, seem that like doesn't sound, that sounds like pressure. I don't like that pressure. And that for a lot of guys, a lot of guys, young dudes is how they feel. They feel like there's an expectation around being a young guy in a single sexually liberated society yeah. that they're supposed to go out and what the, the people on TV and the people in movies and the friends that they hear about do is they go home with girls. Mm -hmm. So if you don't pull the whole culture, man, the whole culture is set up for that. Like I was raised on MTV and it, it just, you're just absorbing messages around that through, through everything. It seems like, and I'm, I've done pretty good. Not like <laughs> not living that Succumbing way. Succumbing to it. Not, I mean, like I, but mentally inside, you're con like, there's always. What are the archetypes that you're being told about? And I think that that no matter where, you, like, I'm interested in your in your question you asked her by the by the way, like, where where are you going? What what? I'm curious to you. How important do you think it is to have a clear objective sort of goal? Like, and if you could, like, speak a little bit to how you see where you're going. I'm not very good at doing long-term plans, man. I've yeah. always sucked at them. You know, the whole what do you want written on your gravestone thing in, in terms of, especially actual outcomes, I've never been good at. And it's always made me feel a bit, I don't know, insufficient or, or uh, deficient mm. in some way. And I've got these friends like Ali Abdal, you know, famous productivity YouTuber. Mm -hmm. and he just blew up. Yeah, just yeah, at him, I'm like, out of fucking nowhere. We're, yeah, we're, we're like, oh, three mil on YouTube now. What and, am I doing with my life? But he'll have on his wall some unbelievable framework written by the best timeline guide writer of the 1900s, and he'll have mapped everything out. That's simply not the way that I work, and mm. it, it never has been. And I always felt a little bit deficient because I felt like being in this space and flirting with productivity a little bit, which everyone does. Anyone in knowledge works flirted with productivity. 
it felt like I should have that stuff on lock and I've never had it mm. sorted and it's never worked for me. The things that I found that have worked for me are find a thing that I'm good at, go very narrow and deep on that one thing, develop skills and then broaden out from there. And that seems to be the best way, you know, so principles scale very well. Principles and values scale very well mm. and they're very flexible. Mm -hmm. So the way that you have principles and values around your relationship with your wife will inform the way that you run your business and mm. it'll inform the way that you show up with your friends and it'll inform the way that you negotiate with the waitress that brought you the wrong dinner mm. at a restaurant. Mm. Those are things that for me, if you struggle to plan and make plans, sort of, what do you, where do you want to be in five years? It's always felt like, I don't know. It's the same as people asking you, what's your type? Mm. What they mean by what's your type is what's the very narrowly defined physical attractive traits that you want from your partner. It's like kind of like what have you seen in the past that you want to keep seeing and it doesn't really speak to the, you know, Alan Watts, back to, to, the, to this point on bad at long-term plans, he's like, you actually want to be surprised. You're trying to act, you, you, you want it to be a surprise too. You will, yes, I'd like to have the financial means that I'd like to have. And I want to feel like I'm going to dance with, with really with the universe, but I see that through the people, through the businesses, through like the, the opportunities, through whatever. I want to feel like there's a, a co-creation and a dance partner. Like I step into the space and, and it's stepping back and then vice versa. And mm -hmm. like, well, that's excitement, right? Yeah. It's intrigue, that's play. And it's connection. It's like an intimacy. It's like a, I'm not alone. You know, which I think is for people who are like, for people who are, who are able to play the field a lot and maybe be with a lot of sexual partners or like, there is a, a kind of a sense of aloneness that I, that I feel from a lot of them. Not, not all of them at all, but like, and I can feel like that too, by the way, in a 20 year marriage, right? What's one of those, what's that quote about this person's so poor, all he has is money. Mm. It's kind of the same as that. Mm. This person's so lonely, all they have is different partners every night. Mm. And almost almost all of the stuff that people are trying to recreate now, a sense of connection and belonging, a variety and novelty through whatever it is, different partners, different substances, it's filling a hole that you you know that this isn't sustainable. Like, And don't get me wrong, dude, I've done the party boy thing. I, that was me. Mm. I'm speaking this to mm. my 22-year-old self, yeah. right? yeah. And, and that also is something that I've been thinking about a lot recently. The lessons that we arrive at later in life are ones that we wish that we'd given ourselves when we were younger. But mm. the only way that we've arrived at those lessons is by living them. Mm. It's, not, it, it's not the case that you could go back in time and tell Chase, do this thing, or I could yeah. go back and say, do this thing, because I wasn't ready to receive that lesson at that time. That wasn't the right place for me to have it. Like If I'd gone back and tried to tell myself a bunch of the stuff that I really value right now, even if I'd believed me that it was a true yeah. uh, realization, yeah. I pr it probably wouldn't work. It probably yeah. wouldn't be right. Which for I me. think is is like is why I, I relate to you in the having a hard time doing the longer term planning stuff because I did not know what I was going to learn, and what I learned was essential, and I wouldn't have had that on my fucking five year plan, you know. Um, and I'm and I do like back to that. What is a good life? Like something I love learning like that sounds super silly and cheesy for me to say but it i mean in my, to my to myself but there's something to I, I really do have an inner drive to understand like what are we doing here and again and again i i'm 
I experienced that we still, we really don't have a great idea of what we're doing here. Like you'll listen to John Verveke or learn about some Jungian ways of looking at things. And you go like, actually this, this feels like it helps me make more sense of what's going on. But it, it is, it sounds hokey to a lot of people. You really have to kind of make some, you have to be converted to a few things to even just be in the idea of a collective unconscious or archetypical energies or things like this. Right. But they do like, what is the psyche is such a big, interesting question to me. Like, I don't know if I am, would say like, what is a soul or any of this stuff? Because I just like, feels like semantics. I, I really don't know what we're talking about half the time, but I'm li- trying to live very soulfully. And that feels like it would be rad to, and not just, it would be rad. It's like, it feels great when you're in that kind of rich, soulful connection with people and you feel that kind of rich, soulful connection with life in general, with like your own karma or whatever. You've got a quote that you like to talk about, which is the only authenticity is authenticity about your inauthenticity. What's that mean to you? Well, I guess it kind of plays to that, to that kind of the viscera of our, of our humanity or like be where you are. That's the most compelling thing, not who you're trying to be. And I, I'm just someone who's tried to be a lot of my life. I just tried to be, tried to be, tried to be. And I can be charming enough in some situations to make you believe that about me. You know, now I'm playing like, a persona. Yeah. Or, or, and oftentimes, like, I think what's really motivating is just please don't reject me. You know, just trying to get people to, to want me or like me or something like that. So to that sort of avoidant, anxious attachment sort of just it's so fucking basic it's so it's so lizard brain you know well it, it i think it fundamentally comes from a fear of the fact that we're not worthy you know yeah. like this is a one of the most common yeah. patterns that i see amongst high achievers especially male high achievers that are solo rangers is that they they hope that if they're successful and useful that people will need them, mm. not that people want them mm. because they don't think that people want them. Yeah. They think that if they mm. make themselves sufficiently indisposable, that people will have to want them. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a pattern that can propel people to really, really good things. Mm. You know, you can be incredibly successful driven by fears of insufficiency. Oh man. It's isn't, is, is there any other way? Right. Well, I think there is. I mean, the, you know, so Peterson's got this experiment he talks about where they put starving rats in a tube and they waft the smell of cheese in from the front. There's a little spring attached to the rat's tail that judges the force of how fast they run away. Mm. And you'd think, well, these rats are starving and that's the smell of food. They'd be pulling as hard as they could. Mm. Then they do another iteration and they waft the smell of cheese in from the front and the smell of a cat in from behind mm. and the rats pull even harder. Yeah. So okay, well, what's the lesson from that? It's like mm. you need to run towards something that you want but also away from something that you yeah. fear. Yeah. And I'm not convinced that I'm not convinced that everybody that goes on to achieve great things is doing it driven from a place of insufficiency. I think that most people are. I think if you were to look at most high performers in the world, most successful people, I think that on average high performers are less happy mm. than people who aren't high performers, which is very bizarre. Yeah. Why would we call the outcomes that high performers get success when there's a good argument to be made that that correlates more with a more miserable existence? Yeah. What definition of success are we using? Mm-hmm. Is this a useful definition of success? Yeah. And it goes back to, you know, your heroes. You don't know the price that they pay to be them. Mm-hmm. Tiger Woods, yeah. unbelievable example. Yeah. You know, like greatest, one of the greatest golfers of all time. But who wants to be him? Yeah. 
the only reason that you know that you don't want to be him is because his failures have happened to be really public. Yeah. His wife chasing him down the driveway with a golf club yeah, and him right. falling asleep at the wheel or taking half a decade out of the sport with injury because of overworking himself or mm. stories in about his father. They had a safe word when he was a kid. His father would racially abuse him on the golf course, say mm. these white people are never going to let somebody like you play here. And they had a safe word like you would during rough sex. And mm. It was the E word and Tiger never said it. Mm. The E word was enough. Mm. He never said it. You know, oh, wow. in retrospect, that looks a lot like child abuse. Yeah. But, but that's the price that you pay. That's the price that you have to pay to be Tiger Woods. But I also feel so shaped into that mold by the movies I was watching as a kid. Like that idea of you always push harder, you keep going, you know. What were those movies? Fucking Predator. I don't know why, why how, to, how to tie it to that, but Predator, I watched Predator a bunch. Um, there was this movie called Only the Strong. Best of the best. A lot of karate movies my dad would watch with me. <laughs> you know? But just action movies. Those just like those It's always a go one more mindset. Yeah. And and there's a toughness that's required for life. If you want to be one of the greatest, you're gonna to have to sacrifice everything. And and I still have I, I still wanna be one of the greatest. I still do. And I do want a really rich home and family life. I want my kids to feel connected to me. I want, you know. This is the peri- perennial challenge i think that people that desire to perform well have to deal with that it's a lot harder to perform well when you feel whole Mm. than when your performance is filling a hole inside of you like if there's a void that the next accomplishment might fill you're going to be very driven to go and do that Mm. if you now no longer have that void and you need to recreate that same degree of drive Mm. without this existential compulsion to Mm. go after it Dude, yeah. that's a big challenge. Yeah. That's a really big challenge. Yeah. 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 I mean, to that, it makes me think again of, of like how you say you're bad at planning for the future, you know? And I, I wonder how much young men and women should be setting those goals. I remember uh, uh, there's this old video, it's probably still online, of Tim Ferriss and Leo Babauta talking about uh, goals. And Tim was like, you got to have goals. And Leo was like, no, you should dissolve your goals. You should let life happen as it as it comes and continue to pursue your curiosities and let it surprise you. And I, I fall more on that line, but maybe because it's a little bit easier, I do feel some pressure nowadays. I feel like I, I could be a little lazy about not defining what I'm really going it's to. It's definitely an inner citadel that you can retreat to, right? That yeah. you can say, look, uh, I find planning hard, therefore planning is pointless. It's yeah. like, mm, that's yeah. a cope. Yeah, that's right. a cope from everybody. Yeah. Um, but in the same way as if you're Ali Abdal or Tim Ferriss, perhaps it's fantastic for you to have the plan laid out. Yeah. But if you're you, maybe it doesn't align quite so much, is exactly the same as there are people out there, friends with a bunch of them that are really, really successful and not driven by some fear of insufficiency. They're yeah. perfectly secure in their attachment, yeah. you know, and it's not horses for courses. You just have to think about what is the price that people pay to to do the things that you admire from them. Mm. And um, yeah, I wonder, I, I wonder as well about the lessons that it teaches young people about what success means and what they should be chasing after in life and things like that. Yeah. And you don't have that grand narrative anymore that, you know, you and your fellows from your 20s would have 
deployed to people, mm. right? You don't have a single unifying mythos yeah. that's bringing everybody together. So everyone's now trying to reinvent it. It's What's like, your okay. take? What, what do you, if there was a me, uh, like a single unifying narrative right now, if there was a, some sort, what, what would your take on that be? Oh God. Well, I mean. If you had to swing. The God, the, 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 the altar that a lot of people are praying at at the moment is meritocracy. Mm. It's merit, mm. right? Your successes are yours to bear. Mm. Your failures are yours to bear. Mm-hmm. Alain de Botton's got this great example where he talks about the change in language over what we used to refer to people that didn't achieve in life as. Mm. And in ancient Greece, they'd be called unfortunates because mm. Lady Fortuna hadn't blessed them. Yeah, right. And I'm pretty sure Fortuna, Lady Fortuna is the statue that's got the two scales. Uh, and the reason for the scales was that you give and you take that mm. people understood that sometimes you would be given and sometimes you wouldn't. I think it's maybe Epictetus or one of the other famous Stoics um, had lived his life in sort of grand luxury, um, maybe the assistant to one of the emperors. And then he got thrown in jail at the end of his life. Mm. And someone said, you know, how can you deal with this? Mm. He said, well, look at how much of a luxurious life I lived up until now. You know, Lady Fortuna just got round to me recently. Mm. And the language changed and it was no longer the unfortunate. It wasn't that this per- person had been dealt a bad hand. They're now called losers. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, no, no. If your successes, if the people at the top are worthy of their successes, yeah. what does that mean the people that are at yeah. the bottom are? Yeah. They're also worthy of their failures. Yeah. And that for me seems to be, it's a very uh, unempathetic way to drive society forward but it's really good at motivating people to go after it and yeah put more hours in but it has built into it that some are not going to absolutely it's a zero-sum game yeah you know not everybody can be the ceo of tesla yeah not everybody like the the whole point of being a top one percent earner or a top ten percent earner is that if you get in you inevitably knock the person that was that space back down one yeah that's the yeah. way that it works. Yeah. There's a, it's so interesting when you look at even the way that schools are done now, the way that the grading's done, at least in the UK, it's done on a distribution. Yeah. So every single year you take the total number of grades and the person that is the best in the entire country is the highest and mm. the person that's the worst is there. And then everybody else just gets smeared across this and they fill in a predefined distribution. There are this many A stars and this many yeah. A's and this many B's and yeah. C's. And that's how it's going to fit. So it, it's literally baked in from childhood mm. that a zero-sum game is how society works. Yeah. yeah, That doesn't seem like a particularly wholesome spiritual way no. to fulfill. Can you Topo Chico me up? I can. Man? Yeah. Also need to give a shout out to Topo Chico as a man that was certain that he didn't like uh, sparkling water. Sam Pellegrino just never gave me the yeah. hit that you I wanted. Can't, you can't, those, those Italian bubbles just don't compare to these. Mexican bubbles, man. <laughs> yeah. That's what we want. Uh, it just, it, it's an elite level of water. But most people in the UK, even the people that are into sparkling water, they're not aware of this. Have you also noticed there is a degree of, um, like there's a certain net worth that people get to after which they're no longer prepared to have still water. Mm. It's like when you reach whatever 250 grand a year in income, you got to drink sparkling water and then tell all of your friends about it. <laughs> well, where did sparkling? I mean, like, there's constantly sparkling water in my house now. That's like three years old as a market almost, it seems like. You know, I know you could always go out to, to Europe and be like, would you like Stelo sparkling? But like here in, in, in the house, it's great. I, I live for it, right? Just at least a few, those first three sips when it's still ice cold. It's not hydrating. 
bad for our teeth. You, you like you. It literally doesn't make you less thirsty, right? Like it is a hit. It was like as bad as a hit of anything in terms of sensation, super sensory experience. But it's kind of nice to like have something cold and bubbly. It is a good taste, man. But Topo Chico, if people think that they're not a sparkling water person, they need to try out Topo Chico. Yeah. So I wanted to talk about Feral Girls Summer, uh, which I saw in The Independent a little while ago. Feral Girls Summer is the latest dating trend to make single, uh, single women feel inadequate. A new TikTok trend is encouraging women to embrace their authentic selves. But what does it say about the pressures society places on women without partners? So as you might be aware, Hot Girl Summer was a thing that was promoted. Was it by... Who did it? Megan this Megan the Stallion uh, to capture the post-pandemic spirit of last year trended on TikTok and Instagram. Hot Girl Summer uh, and Feral Girl Summer is about not shaving your legs. It's about thinking. It, it, think Fleabag with a sprinkle of someone who has been at Glastonbury for three weeks. Ostensibly, the Feral Girl Summer is not about dating, but as with Hot Girl Summer, its definition is dependent on it. According to the dating app Badoo, 87% of female users felt pressured to have a Hot Girl Summer in 2021, with 71% saying that this impacted their dating life. So Feral Girl Summer is whatever the opposite is of Hot Girl Summer. It's talking about female autonomy. It's not giving a fuck. The attitude is similar to that perpetuated by the cool girl trope. Problematic yet this seductive depiction of subdued femininity created for the male gaze. So this is somehow, this is a trend created by women for women, mm. but has somehow been uh, screwed back around to it being a product of the patriarchy and it's oppressive, cis, heteronormative. Is that what they're saying? That it's a product of the patriarchy? Oh, everything is. Uh, similar, another tic- TikTok trend, goblin mode. Have you seen that? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no, I like that though. Goblin mode. The feral girl summer encourages women to forego beauty rituals in favor of more radicalized, unkempt aesthetics. You have to be your authentic self in order to qualify, and that apparently means throwing away your razor. Why? Because conforming to beauty standards makes us fe- makes us bad feminists. Is having hairy legs supposed to make us feel empowered when we have sex? And if it doesn't, does that make us a failure? So basically, it's a very unfalsifiable idea that womanhood is um archaic ideologies around womanhood and this is something that's put forward by men and you go well look at where most of the criticism about women's appearances come from Mm. it's not men Mm. it's mostly other women Mm. men criticize men and women criticize women that doesn't mean that there isn't crossover but beauty standards for women aren't created by men we don't give a fuck about your new fast fashion and whether pastel shades are in and whether you remember a thigh gap when a thigh gap was a thing and now it's whether you've got like a big boom, a big bum. Mm. All of that came from women to women. It wasn't us. But the feral girl summer thing, I just think is it's very, very interesting because it's always it's showing very quickly this sort of vacillation from one extreme to another hot girl summer was supposed to be the pandemic's locked everybody down summer's here you're supposed to be your best self and go out and be glamorous with your friends and go to festivals and wear white boots and stuff like that within one year Hmm. it's now whatever the exact opposite is well it makes sense they're really the same energy how do you mean like it's it's the same it's like they're actually not only yeah they're two sides of the same coin right so it's really the same I, I totally relate to the idea of of trying to trying to look a certain way, 
right? I mean, my whole life I've been so aesthetically minded, but like not like with necessarily good aesthetics, right? I was like a hardcore kid in the Bay Area, all black. And, you know, I had like a neck full of handmade beaded necklaces that showed you how straight edge I was or something like Did that. you have right? the black cross on the back of the hand? When we went to shows, sure. Let's go. Yeah. So, but like the aesthetics, like, like my brother says, I took myself out of the game before I was even, before I'd even started, right? Like, um, they're the same they're they're the same energy because back to the bit about authenticity like you're you you have to kind of know yourself a little bit to try to be honest about your inauthenticity and i think it's actually quite hard to be honest about your in, inauthenticity um to even to even grok it in any sort of way right it's like it's actually kind of running in the background a bit and it's hard to to get back then it's harder to get back there than it is to like try something like this which is very clear be hot this which is very clear be not hot you know it's like oh this is this this feels like the same thing be you know be something maybe she's born with it maybe it's maybelline it's like be maybe it's hairy legs maybe it's under armpits yeah there's a a really cool uh thing that i learned about mimetic theory so you know mimesis right Mm -hmm. renee gerard's thing Mm -hmm. um People copy people that are of high status, right? Megan the Stallion, high, high enough status to cause millions probably of girls to think about having a hot girl summer last mm-hmm. year. Now, there's two types of mimesis. I didn't know this. One is positive mimesis, which is when you model off somebody that's high status. Yeah. And the other is negative mimesis, which is when you don't model off somebody that's low status. So the problem with trying to be a, a contrarian or a heterodox or a cynic or a skeptic, a lot of the time, that's no more nuanced or depth thinking than the other person mm. or if if all that you do is reflexively be contrarian to whatever the mainstream narrative is that that's no smarter than the people that just follow it you've just yeah. inverted whatever the algorithm is if yeah. it's the same with you know what happened with the vaccines and stuff like that that caused a lot of people to be so distrusting of mainstream media because they'd seen them sort of flip-flop between mm-hmm. different narratives a lot that they became reflexive contrarians and yeah. you go well, hang on do you really think that the opposite unthinkingly the opposite of whatever the mainstream says is somehow a more nuanced position than simply following it it's literally the exact position inverted yeah and i heard you speak of that before that sort of reflexive contrarianness and it's something i really relate to i've like i've experienced that a lot like my 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 mind my head sounds like that often or when i look back over life and and see full like seasons or or phases of my life that were lived in something feral that were, chase summer that were that were just inspired by not being like that. Yep. Right? Well, I mean, that's what this is. In fact, we've. That, I think that's a really good explanation for what it is. Mm. It's two sides of the same coin. You had hot girl summer last year, feral girl yeah. summer this year, and it's the contra- It's the reflexive contrarian thing. Last year, we were playing up to what men's standards were in terms of an oppressive it was created by megan the stallion mm. not a man mm. uh therefore this year we're going to disregard mm. uh, typical feminine beauty standards and you go well hang on a second when you don't feel nice when you do that that's also not that's not coming from some fucking bureaucratic organization mm. telling you about how you're supposed to be it's just naturally what's in the culture at the moment about what is femininity yeah. and for the most part that's created by women yeah. and this reflexive heterodoxy reflexive cynicism skepticism thing it it really isn't a smart solution it's no deeper but it gives people a little bit more of a sense that they've done some work right and it, but it's like i don't even believe this i don't even believe in this world anymore this world of bloggers talking to each other about who's responsible for this, that, and the other. First of all, I bet there's like 
in terms of meaningful numbers of people who are in, who are like thinking that this hot girl or feral girl summer is important, it's like very minimal in terms of its significance. I, I imagine. I think you'd be surprised. Man. Maybe when but, it gets down to the girls' level, like the people want a archetype to latch onto. You know this. Yeah. You know this. The stories throughout the ages. They want an archetype. Yeah, but I guess it sometimes it's just like when it's 20-year-olds like like oh my god screaming about <laughs> screaming about like I'm like call me in like 8 years. Like we're going to we're going to get through some real shit. You've got to you've got to like life keeps going. It just keeps going, yeah. right? You're, like you're having feral girl for a summer. You're having hot girl for a summer. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, I mean that's a good point. The fact that like, what you do for the summer is a really important thing. Mm. Only somebody that's been around on the planet for less than 20 years can think that that's a big deal. Possibly. I mean, I love the idea that you can try on different shit. We can try on all of this stuff and cool, go, explore. Try a bunch of stuff on, right? And realize how maybe not closer to who you, how you want to feel you still are. Right? It's like that Jim Carrey quote about, I hope you get everything that you want. And then realize like you still don't have it. You know, like you're still missing some essential bit. Which armpit is, hair, which is which is armpit hair. <laughs> it is. I mean, I, I'm I'm around a lot of women who are who are consciously not not shaved. Have you ever shaved your legs, by the way? No. Have oh, you? Yeah. Right. How's it feel? Season of it. Oh, dude. So you had a hot girl summer. I had a very hot girl summer <laughs> back in the day. These are like these legs. These these leg hairs are like tree trunks. I, by the way, I would only go up halfway through my thigh because it's a nightmare going higher. I literally had hair shorts. I mean, just getting there's just more thick hair up there. Hilarious. But I just loved getting into bed with a clean shaved leg. It you never felt anything like it. And then you get one chill, and beep, all these little pricks start showing up, and it's done. Like it's a over turkey that's so being plucked. I, I relate to the like to like I don't want to be shaving my legs anymore, mm -hmm. right? I relate to that so much, even though I like that was you know I had my hot. It was just a summer I was doing that, uh, but it was I highly recommend. I have a buddy who does that for um, jujitsu because he's adamant that it helps him with leg lock escapes. There you go. He's certain that it makes slicker. him more slippery. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Okay. So we've also got uh, white gay privilege. So there was an article that came out today. Uh, for LGBTQ plus people of color, racism also impacts how they are perceived. It is a sad reality that being part of a marginalized societal group exposes you to hate, discrimination, and an unequal treatment. It's a fact well known by people in the LGBTQ plus community who experience this kind of hostility based on their gender and or sexuality. However, for people whose identities intersect multiple marginalized groups, there are more things to consider for people of color, racism also impacts how they are perceived and treated by wider society. So people from the LGBTQ plus community who do not have to worry about racism as well possess white gay privilege. I think I knew white gay privilege was a thing before we had a name for it. Lady Phil, one of the founders of UK Black Pride, tells Metro.co.uk. And this is just the beginning of intersectionality eating its own, mm. I think. The mm. fact that as soon as you have intersecting uh, hierarchies of grievance and privilege, it's no longer enough to just be gay. You know, I, Douglas Murray was sat in that very seat where mm. you're sat, mm. and he said that because he's gay and conservative, he's basically straight now. Mm -hmm. He's an honorary straight. Mm. Mm. And uh, this, I mean, if no one can see that this is the beginning of a circular firing squad where the purity spiral just continues to shave off people on the outside mm -hmm. that are no longer sufficiently yeah. oppressed. So yeah. hang on, oh, you're white and gay? Mm. 
I'm afraid that that kind of means you're not that gay anymore, friend. Mm. You you don't get to have the same yeah. oppression Olympics that we do. Yeah. No, I, I I've heard uh, a few gay men, white gay men, before speak of things in this direction, but didn't have a term yet. But and to the point of of like the the again, it's like the world of the world of bloggers blogging at other bloggers about what they should blog about and the, and and it's it's like a, a roboro snake eating its its own tail kind of thing where i'm so disconnected from that world it's not the world of like how to say like i i feel we've we've got so much um it's it's interesting like existential fear is so high in terms of like, it's so hard to make money or to get to a level. We're comparing ourselves to people who are further and further and further away from where we are now, right? We've got all of this chatter, this noise that we're that we've, we've got to deal with, and yet we're so. Not everybody, but we're so safe. There's, I, I think of, I got to go on safari in Africa, for example, and uh, with my friend who who like guided us, literally on the ground on foot. Lions and tigers and bears. Oh my, like you're on the ground. There's a rhino. We were tracking a rhino for a long time. And then we got to this place where it was like, oh shit, it's right on the other side of that bush. We could hear it breathing and it smelled us and it could tell something was up and you can hear it getting a little like irritated, like what's going on. And when a rhino is, just starts running in any, and it could easily just run in this direction and just you know, it literally just has a horn. They call a group of rhinos a crash of rhinos because they can run like 60 miles an hour and see eight feet in front of them, right? They're like a group. <laughs> the group of rhinos is called a crash of rhinos. I love the names of like a flamboyance of flamingos, you know. But in that space, first of all, your nervous system goes, oh, I remember this shit. Because we're talking millions and millions of years. That's what we're shaped by. Oh, I remember this. That was clarifying. It felt grounding in a strange way. Um, teeth and horns and claws, nature red in tooth and claw. We're so far from that. Not saying that like Louis C.K. has this amazing bit. It's like, we should let one lion loose in New York. Just one. Just one. So anytime you're walking anywhere, it's like, a little bit more You're just on edge. It's a bit more exciting. Just like, yeah, I made it this time. But the the distance that we have from from what it takes to make civilization work is, I think, uh, one reason why we're able to circle jerk as intensely as we can around who who is living in injustice and which who... type of gay person is the one that's got the most oppression <laughs> yeah well, well i mean the problem that you have is that only in a world that's this convenient would you be able to lop with so many different games that you're playing I, yeah. I heard this quote the other day which is so perfect and it said the demand for racism outstrips the supply <laughs> at the moment that's a fascinating idea yeah and what you think about is that the ibram x Kendys of the world and the anti-racism trainers of the world and the people who take their social status from it not even the people that make money you know just the people that are able to tweet about it the people who rely on racism to give them their sense of self and position and power in the world need racism to continue 
So what do they do? They continue to expand the definition of racism to encompass more and more and more things. I just re- I just spent um, some good time with a Native American teacher. He's a Comanche, and he's a descendant of Quanah Parker, who was the the last chief of of the Comanches. And and I like in experiences with him, like I got to learn so much about like a land literally taken from people, and and. I connect, I, I just, I, I love learning more about that, even though it's actually really visceral, like to learn about, like the, the fact that we're really on, like we really are privy or, or accomplice in some way to this, to like these people live with this and they keep, they're, they're still here, they keep living. And Quana was actually a really interesting bridge between those worlds. Um, between his world and and the world that that he like was coaching his people like hey man this is coming we have to do something about this and he's he's like you can take our land but you can't take our medicine you can't take our way of life uh, I I definitely connect to that story I connect to the I mean I had this coffee book when I was young of Martin Luther King and I remember in high school just learning about the civil rights and just going like like just what the hell this is and it just defined me the this struggle this like the the that that people and that people a that people were treated that way and then and then it just kept getting more intense the layers of it just the realization of how pervasive this activity of of owning people putting them to work the differing levels of of who gets treated in what way uh different classifications of people different I still feel very strongly that we live in like a caste system. There are different sort of castes. How so? Just it just feels like I'm in the stage that I'm in. We all have I think I believe in the opportunities for upward mobility. And I believe in and this might sound like a shitty fucking bearded white thing to say, but this there's a kind of a value in accepting where I am as like this is my this is my level. This is where I'm, I'm at in life. Cause then, cause then I can like, I can feed my family. I can, I can do these things. I can feel the richness of it and not continually strive. Well, I mean, strive, that's, strive. that's, yeah, that, that's a, an interesting way to look at it, that that's an inner citadel that you can retreat to as well. Right. Or a cope. I've got to come to terms with it. Right. But the, the reason that it's so satisfying and so reassuring and, and comforting to get to is that it stops the drive. It stops at least a little bit of the drive for more. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking for excuses to feel satisfied. Yeah, precisely. You know? But again, the ancient Greek word for work used to be not at leisure. Yeah. But it shouldn't be the case that you feel like your primary source of value to the world as a father of like lots of children mm. and a husband and a creator and all of this stuff, that your primary source of value to the world is whether or not you can double your income over the next five years. Yeah, That's yeah. not supposed to be mm. the way that we're supposed to value each other. Mm. But in a world which is bereft of community and connection and sense of um, belonging to the wider mythos of the, the um, nation that you're in, what have you got? Mm. Yo, I've got my bank account. Mm-hmm. I've got my social media followers. Yeah. And I've got my watch time on YouTube. An endless possibility. Yeah, and I've got my ability to accuse other people in my group of not being as oppressed as me. Yeah, and it's it, just different games. All of that is just like I lived in Portland for fifteen years, and I was really uh, sort of kind of by default in in a world somewhat like that. And I've since just gotten so far away from it. It just does not feel like the real world at all. 
It's no longer a part of any conversations that I'm a part of, not because my friend group is super homogeneous or anything like that, just because the people that I'm with, this is not what defines our our interests and our curiosities day by day. Like we're, we're not, uh, we're not personally motivated by it like that. And, and so it's just like, it's just lost so much of its teeth. The whole culture war thing, like you were saying about the vaccination stuff where it's like, all right, I kind of don't care a lot about what the CDC's recommendations are like maybe yeah. forever it's like the boy who cried wolf isn't it you yeah know, if everything's racism then nothing's racism if if everything is a health health risk then nothing's a health risk yeah and after a while people only get so many chances at singing and dancing and shouting about stuff before you just start to switch off In and fact, i want stuff that's going to be useful for our like i literally have to make the future i literally have to put food on the table for my kids and and my family, and I literally have people around me who I care uh, if, if there's things are going really bad for them, like I, I want them to go better. So I'm looking for meaningful information and insights about where the world is going, about what, what opportunity is worth investing in so that thir 13 years from now, you're, you didn't just double down on something that's totally fucking evaporated. Not intellectual know? lopping horseshit about... Yeah, privilege and intersectionality. There's this really cool thing I learned about the other day called fire hosing. With, with so many competing narratives in the digital yeah. age, disinformation agents can't convince you of any single narrative. Mm. So instead, they overwhelm you with many contradictory narratives until you start to doubt everything and become confused, demoralized, and passive. So this idea that like, just like, so how valuable is it for you to be off kilter and have a walk? Like, it's like, now I can do something with you. If you're, if you, if you're unsure and insecure, now I can, can like direct you in a certain way a little bit easier. It's harder to have a, a sense of place and direction and stick with it. Right. That's what, one of the things is valuable having a career. It's like, this is the industry that I'm in. And this is, you said in the car, like becoming the best podcaster you can be. That's such a direction. It so has like bumpers on it at the, at the bowling alley. You know, you know, you know where you're. There's some guardrails that you can follow. Right. Yes. And that is, that can be a thing that you get to, uh, I don't know, that you, that you, that you get to, uh, you're hiring that direction in a way that keeps you, it's like a rudder or a fin on a surfboard. It keeps you from, Going off and all, all like, over the place, where it's like, okay, you're not being a good enough socially conscious justice warrior. You're not. You don't understand enough about the hardships here, there, and other, other everywhere. People use. Or people can supplant that with a lot of different things, though. People can decide that the thing that they're going to pursue is going to be the most equitable campaigning, intersectional LGBTQ plus mm -hmm. person that they can be. Yeah, and that's that becomes their status game. Yeah. And, is it possible to say that objectively some status games are more virtuous than others? I don't know. I'd need like a philosopher friend here to, mm. to work that one out. But I mean, in terms of adding value, like real world, give me, tell me what is happening. Yeah. Maybe, maybe I'm totally wrong, right? Maybe there is a huge problem in the black, gay, and lesbian community where they're being ostracized by the whites in the lesbian and gay community. Mm. I'm not sure. Mm. It seems to me like time could be better spent on other things. And finding right? a partner to get fucking delicious sex with. 
right? that, I mean, it's not that hard if you're in, especially if you're one of the G's. If you're one of the L's, it's a bit more difficult because you've got, know. you know, you've got two gatekeepers. I don't know. It's like, it's just not, not, not where I live. It's like not where I'm from. You know, I just really don't know what the weather's like action, there. A lot of action going on with the G's. <laughs> okay. A lot of action. But I, I, I do think there's, there's like a, a spiritual practice and a, and a, a, like a recommendation I'm making to people that's like, be what you're, what you're in. And if what you're in is like, who has who is seeing the most injustice then then like let's bring that let that be your goal bring more justice bring bring more justice and if that's not what your what your gig is i certainly do believe that there are two things one like we talked about before there are there are certain constructs like you were talking about meritocracy and um and losers are like like that word is just such a fucking yep. like i have that in my in my inner critic so so hard like this the smell of the cat wafting from behind yep, me pushing yep, me yep. forward and like i want that to lose some of its power because i i want i want that to i want that to actually be turned in on itself until it it dissolves it doesn't exist anymore right loser is not a real thing but that it's hard for my psyche to 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 believe that so there are some constructs that actually make losers and winners there are others that do a better job of rising tide floats all boats, of less of a zero to sum game, more of an infinite game, right? We know, like, we need our Schmachtenbergers and our and our big thinkers to help us evaluate these structures. That's one thing. A second thing is, I really do believe that how it's always actually been is we come, we're actually building the society from the bottom up. We're actually, we actually build it. These individuals actually build it. But that's that's scary. Think about the fact that each individual does actually get to contribute to the way that society's built. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of fucking idiots out there. Yeah. There are a lot of people who have got But as Texas says there's a, a you know a well-armed populace is a peaceful populace, right? Like the idea that like we're not going to get away from that scariness. Yeah, we can yeah, there's going to be some proud boys and some alt-right and some really far far left and and there's there there's going to be that distribution like you talk about the grades in the UK. There is. That's the fucking state of nature, right? And we're we're going. We're on the spaceship. We're on planet Earth as our spaceship. I love the idea of being other places. I love the at least the narrative it gives us, right? In the in the solar system, but the nearest fucking star beyond our solar system is so far away. <laughs> like we 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 can only lean on the idea of a fusion and bending space and time and stuff that is like feels like we're really close but it's still like i believe it when i see it right is the way a lot of people feel about it but that's the state of nature there's going to be buffoons and idiots there's going to be brilliant people people you know we're all on the spectrums so to speak right and i do think civilization grows from the bottom up and and we need those structures and those systems placed on top. And we want, there's some that are better than others. And I do, I do lean on my, my bro, Daniel Smackenberg to help me figure out which ones are which. However, I'm, I have to own my part of this. And a lot of that is, is, is like the raising of my kids, the being, the, the, all the other what kids, can I influence all the other kids, at, at, like the families at my, at my kids' school, like the, the, clients that I work with, like all of this stuff, the people who watch my videos, keep going. I feel like the scary, like like the the mental health concerns are massive. Like it, I, the way that I struggle with it, and I'm a man of immense privilege, is like, I wouldn't, I don't know. Like I, maybe some of these buffoons are better at being happier. 
and we have stuff to learn from them in some ways. However, there are consequences to our <coughs> actions and, and, you know, I don't know. I've talked myself into a fucking pit here well, around. Think, think about, think about it this way that you've seen the midwit meme, right? Which one is that? Uh, so it looks like a bell curve. And at one side you have this dude that looks like a Neanderthal. And then in the middle you have sort of this angry, specky yep. sort of liberal person. Mm -hmm. And then on the right-hand side you have this sort of sage guy with his hood up. Mm -hmm. And the meme is all about the fact that the guy that's really stupid and the guy that's really smart arrives at the same conclusion. Mm -hmm. It's the person in the middle, the midwit in the middle, which mm -hmm. is most people. Midwit, that's hilarious. Yeah. It, so I haven't heard this before. Michael Malice popularized the term. It wasn't his to create, but he popularized it. Mm -hmm. So midwits, right? And midwit appeal theorem says that by definition, most content has to appeal to midwits because most people are midwits right. and the content that propagates the most is the one that appeals to That's the That's the scariest people. thing on the planet to me, this, this idea that, that, that I'm, I'm a YouTuber. One of the things I do is, is make YouTube videos. As any content creator can, who's been doing it for long enough can tell you, it's like there's a draw to doing things that will become more popular. Content caption. And and in the same way that, you know, our R Roman magistrate putting Jesus to, to death is, is like putting it to the people. It's like the people make bad calls oftentimes. And those midwits aren't the buffoons. They're not the ones who are the crazy ones on the outskirts of society, right? They're, they're the all of us. They're the sort of we the people is the, is the feeling of it. Going back to what you said earlier on about cognitively being able to convince yourself of a lot of different things, you know, mm -hmm. cerebrally you can get in with your mind and convince yourself of something that your intuition is screaming at you to do or not to do. Mm. That's the danger, right? Mm. It takes an awful lot of smart mm. to actually be able to convince yourself of something that you know inherently in your being and in your fibers is something that should or shouldn't happen. Yeah. And that's, yeah. The, that's the danger of the midway. It's the Dunning-Kruger effect, right? It's mm. this sort of valley of incompetence that you go through before you actually yeah. come out the other side. Yeah. But for instance, if you were to look at um, uh, how to get in shape, um, like lift weights, eat protein. Then in the middle, it would be, I must optimize my fasting window timing to mm -hmm. ensure that the pre-digested enzymes <laughs> from my morning coffee of grass-fed butter is blah, blah, blah. Down to the other side, like lift weights, eat protein. Yeah, like yeah. that that's what you yeah. end up arriving at. That yeah. The idiot and the, the sage yeah. are both the same sort of outcome. Mm. And it's the person in the middle, which is most people that end up overcomplicating things. Yeah. And this is where the status games come from. It's like, the stupid person and the really smart person, it's like, um, find job that you care about, live in place that fulfills you, have family that makes you happy. Mm. In the middle, it's, I must ensure that all of the oppression in the world is being completely ameliorated because I need to compensate for all of the issues that my ancestors have done. Like, yeah. Yeah. place that you want to live with a family that you care about, doing a job that you yeah. love. Like, yeah. that's it. And, you know, overcomplicating things. One of the problems you have is that it's really difficult once you start on that path, like through midwittery, mm. You, you can no longer regress back. You don't get to slow the car down. The only way out is through. feels like I have, I have, uh, oh, maybe, maybe, maybe right. You kind of have to go over the, over the hill into, into somewhat of a, a sage territory or something. But there, you know, in, in Buddhism, there's this idea of chop wood and carry water. Before enlightenment, chop wood and carry water. After enlightenment, chop wood and carry water, Right. And there's this one, my one of my favorite coffee shops up in, or bakery shops in Portland had this great thing on the, the wall. It was like, chop wood, carry water, listen to Neil Young. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's, the, that's the addition. I like I probably wouldn't, I, I'm like, I find myself less interested in listening to Neil Young after the Spotify Think shit. about 
the fact that um, so many people that we know that are in Austin here are deciding to do homesteading or they're building ranches and stuff. And one of my buddies was saying, hey, man, I've got this ranch. I've just bought this spot. Uh, it needs some work doing. I'm going out there most weekends. And immediately I thought to myself, I'm so down. If you want mm. me to hammer a fence in yeah. for six hours on a Saturday afternoon in yeah. 110 degree heat, I'm there. Topo Chico would never taste better. That would taste good. Yeah. Um, but hang on a second. Uh, why is everybody going to university and trying to gain money and status if you end up getting to that stage and then all that you want to do is fucking hammer a fence? Yeah, yeah. And you go, that, that's supposed to be, you know, low in uh, yeah. complexity, yeah. indigent laborer work mm -hmm. stuff. And yet it's the thing that compels you to go forward. Again, mm -hmm. it's like, you know, the sage and the idiot arrive at the same place. Yeah. Yeah. There's another thing that I, this quote that I really want to show you from Naval. And he says, um, karma is just you repeating your patterns, virtues, and flaws until you finally get what you deserve. Mm -hmm. And it just made me think about the fact that a lot of the time in life, you see people that are repeatedly successful or repeatedly unsuccessful. Mm. And you're like, you're the common denominator between all of these experiences. Right. Right. Is it that every one of your exes has happened to be a possessive, controlling, crazy person? Mm. Or do you cause something that comes out of them? Or are you able to choose that type of person? Or are you attracted to that type of person? Yeah, I think there's this really big, there's this really big insight that is is so simple, but it can really it can change it can change so much of the landscape of your life. And it is so it's just around taking responsibility for where you are. I find people are. I, a lot of successful people I, I hear, and, and I'm one of these, like don't want to take ownership of their own success, first of all. So like, it's actually surprisingly easy not to take ownership of the success that, you, that you've, like I'm terrible, I don't feel successful at all, right? And I tend to take responsibility over like the poor things in my life, the things that, are that I'm doing badly in my life for sure, that seems to be a little bit easier. However, like there's this mentor I worked with for a long time named Dan Takini, who's for 40 years, he's been just doing these workshops, these four day workshops. Right now he calls them the revenant. They've been called a lot of other things. Four days, no substance, no psychedelic or anything. This guy is super shamanic in just a windowless hotel room. And, and you just get to encounter yourself amidst all these other people encountering themselves. And he's basically saying, Keep your fucking promises. What promises have you made? Take responsibility. Own your life. Take ownership over your life. These very basic things, but it's structured in this exercises that you're like, it comes through in these in insights, these revelations. Sometimes you pop, everybody pops. I broke in the middle of it. You know, it's like, that's what, that's what happens in these things. The pressure just builds. But that idea of taking responsibility, going like, all right, what happens to me is going to be on me. And that it says nothing about like, that doesn't mean that the universe isn't here as a co-partner with you, dancing alongside of you. It just means like what you're in control of, you're going to be in control of, you know? And what's the alternative? That's so, it's so, what exactly? What's the alternative? What like, is the alternative? Well, the alternative is it's their fucking problem or it's their fucking fault or it's the, it's because of this or it's because of that or it's mom or it's dad. It's everything that, that actually we all get a lot of out of these narratives, right? I never have. I never have. And this is the other side, I guess, of um, 
whatever the solopreneur only child syndrome thing. It's great because it means that you never have a victim mentality. But what you find is you take responsibility for things that you're not responsible for. Yeah. And that's pernicious in a different way. I think it's probably less destructive socially, but it's more destructive personally. Mm. So, mm. you know, something goes wrong and you find a way to make it your fault, even yeah. if it wasn't. Yeah. That's taking yeah. too much responsibility. I yeah. tried to ask Jordan Peterson this and I was like, hey, you like people taking responsibility for their actions. Is there such a thing as taking too much responsibility? Mm. Uh, I'm going to ask Jocko Willink the same question. Mm. You know, extreme ownership's his thing. Like, have you considered about whether or not there's such a thing as too much ownership? Mm. What about if you start to scale your problems? You start to insert yourself into the problems mm. that aren't yours. Yeah. Well, how, how long can you do that before you're no longer able to show up for anybody, even yeah. the people that need you? Yeah. Even the people that you should own that you should be responsible for yeah uh, and i do feel that there's a, a danger to that it's all forms and constructs right that and, and like you pin yourself to any of them it's just like pinning yourself to that hero the quote in the very beginning like it's really it 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 continues life keeps going it continues to go you get converted to an idea and then you might see more nuance and perspective and find that to be like like the tantrics would say, like there, it's a, it's this, it's this spectrum. We're suspended between two poles of this thing. So taking too much responsibility is like one direction taking responsibility can go. Taking not enough is another direction. It's probably some, you know, Niels Bohr has this quote. It's like, oh, good, we found a paradox. Now we might be able to make some progress. Niels Bohr was this like physicist, amazing, radical What's dude. that mean to you? What's that quote mean to you? This idea that, like, first of all, to your point about first principles and, and principles being things that can actually scale and you can stick with over time, principles tend to operate on, like, things that last a long time operate on paradoxes, right? It's like, it's, it's, you're... <sighs> What's a, what's a good example? I, for some reason, all I'm thinking of is like, you're alive and yet you're going to die. Like, that's not a great example of a paradox. Like, in my friend group, we just did a, a, like a ceremonial weekend and we're an inclusive group, but we're also exclusive. That's a paradoxical, right? Mm. And it's in the play of that, that you, that the, the, I don't know, that the meaning is made, but also that decisions are made and that people who weren't there a week ago are there today and end up shaping the space in a meaningful way, right? And people aren't there who could have been there that like, that would have shifted it in a way we may, may not have been beneficial because that's, it's like paradox is like, I'm a, I'm an alive sexual being who has the freedom of the world and I'm tethered to one woman on purpose, right? And that's a, that's a, there's actually a lot of life when you pull that apart. Stuff that we can pull apart ends up feeling like, so taking too much responsibility, taking not enough responsibility, probably too simplified of a construct. Life does tend to have this like more like, ooh, let's pull it apart. And it's less of a getting to the answers of things and more feeling the quality of the question and may not have even coming to an answer, but still having to take steps in directions and letting it come together over time. Chase Reeves, ladies and gentlemen, if people want to check out the stuff that you do online, where should they go? You should go to chasereeves.co. I've got all the links to everything there. Uh, if you're interested in me, that's where you can find me. I'm on Twitter and Instagram and YouTube, and I'm making videos about backpacks for the most part. <laughs> I don't know how that happened. Good backpacks, though. Great backpacks. I appreciate you, man. Thank I you. appreciate you. Thanks, dude. 